Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're in Acts chapter 20 this morning. Acts chapter 20. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Acts, slowly but surely. We're getting there. We're covering every single verse, even those uncomfortable verses, to get the whole counsel of God. So we're in Acts chapter 20. We're, our verses this morning are 27 and 28. Um, but let's go back to verse 24. Paul is speaking to the elders, the leaders, the pastors of Ephesus. He's in Miletus. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He missed the Passover, so now he's heading there for Pentecost, just to give you a a snippet there. And if you need to get a CD, there's CDs available on the wall over there. They're free. Take them, exchange them, pass them around. Verse 24, Paul speaking, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Guys, this is Christianity right here. Do you count your life dear? If your life is more precious than Jesus, you will not be witnessing for Jesus in these coming days. You just got to get ready. The enemy wants to bring fear into our lives. Fear neutralizes faith. We have to step out in faith knowing that people are going to hell. If they kill us, where do we get to go? Heaven. What a bummer. No more 110 degree days. Man, what a bummer. So that I may finish my race with joy. And we talked about this, how we're all in a race. We don't compete with each other. We're not comparing with each other. No, God, what's the race that you have for me? I used that example when I was at Motorola for 12 and a half years. It was that time before full-time ministry. Wherever you're planted right now, that's your race. And God wants you there because people need Jesus. That's why you're there. But notice that so that I may finish my race with joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. And we talked about that, the, the reference to, to Ezekiel, I believe Paul is referencing Ezekiel there, the watchman on the wall. And so for you and I, we're to declare to the best of our abilities the gospel, the good news. It might only be five seconds, it might be five minutes, whatever it might be. When you and I have those opportunities to share the good news, the gospel. Verse 27 now, our text. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Father, we thank you for the morning. And again, Lord, we just continue in our worship of you. Worship is not just singing. Worship is a surrendered heart. Surrendering and saying, Father, your will be done, not mine. For we all have desires. And we all find ourselves trying to live out our own will. 
and not even praying at times about what that will is. Just putting our heads down and bullying through it. So Father, help us to surrender daily, hourly, moment by moment, second by second, that we'd be in your perfect will for our lives. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching this morning and that through your word you'll be glorified. Father, we together as believers pray for that one possible unbeliever in our midst. Right now, Father, we, we intercede in the spiritual realm. Open their eyes. Touch their heart. Help them to know that you love them and you sent your son to die for them. They have free will. They can reject you. Father, we pray that they'd receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been learning over the last few weeks, there are various aspects or personal responsibilities that believers need to mature in in the Christian faith. And as I share these, I want to make sure that, because we all come from different backgrounds, and maybe you came from a religion or a church that was legalistic, and they had a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts, and and you have to do this, and you have to do that, or you're not going to be saved, or God's not going to love you. So I just want to maybe debug the program at the very beginning here, maybe in your mind. And that you wouldn't go down that road because that's not the road we're going down. But we do have personal responsibilities. Just like in our workplace where we will study, uh, we will try to advance, we will be on time, hopefully. We will take the appropriate breaks. Uh, We will speak kindly of our supervisor or the management, praying for them. We'll do those things that Christians should be doing. But also trying to advance, I mean, I I didn't want to just go into Motorola and stay where I was. I wanted to advance, so I was diligent. So as we look at these things this morning, this is not about rules and regulations. You really need to understand this. This is about relationship. Relationship. And in any relationship that you have, marital or otherwise, if you do not invest in that relationship, it will not move forward. If you are not diligent in that relationship, it will die. That's just reality. So as we hear these things, don't let the enemy go down this road of, oh, wow, a bunch of do's and don'ts and duties and this. Here we go, religion. Not at all. It's about relationship. You see, as we surrender to that molding, shaping process of the Holy Spirit that we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 3.18 He will transform our lives into the likeness of Christ. And I can guarantee that if I asked every single Christian in this room, do you want to be more like Jesus? I can guarantee you your answer is going to be yes. I can guarantee that. That's why you're here. You want to be more like Jesus. But unfortunately, for many, many Christians, I would say a majority of the church, they get used to being spoon-fed by a pastor once a week And that's it. They're not being diligent the rest of the week. They're not seeking how they can be more like Christ, how they can develop that relationship. And then they go back and check the box, punch the clock, whatever analogy you want to use, and, okay, I fulfilled that obligation. If you think this is an obligation, you need to repent. This is about relationship. This is not about punching the clock. This is about me having the opportunity for 45 minutes to disciple you how to be more like Jesus for the work of the ministry, Ephesians says, so that when you go out, 
Maybe you've learned one or two things that you hadn't thought about before and you're ready. Oh, that's right. I got to go down to my ministry. Because when you hear ministry, it pretty much almost 100% of the time comes back to Sunday morning and the pastor. No. Ministry is you. And what is your ministry when you leave these doors? So here's the list of personal responsibilities that we touched on so far. The first aspect, our walk should match our talk. Humility should be a major part of our walk. I encourage you to take a picture of this or write it down. Continual repentance and growing in the faith. The next three that we looked at last week. Being filled and open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the hardest things to get used to. Because we have an agenda. We have a plan. We all have a schedule. Being more focused on the eternal than the temporal. This is very, very hard. Because again, we do things. We, we, want, we want to have things. And we, we should have goals. And we want to obtain those goals. Doing our best to share the gospel with others. So as we press on at this leadership conference, we find two more aspects of the, fa- of the faith this morning. Let's look at verse 27. For I have not shunned, for I have not shunned or avoided, avoided declaring, for I have not avoided declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You see, once again, Paul makes mention that he didn't hold back anything but taught these leaders the whole counsel of God. So here's the question. Again, as you're reading your Bible, you want to ask questions so that you can interpret the Bible. Well, if he was giving them the whole counsel of God, what scriptures was Paul sharing? Was he sharing the New Testament? He was writing the New Testament. New Testament was not not totally written yet. So that means he was sharing from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament. And there's over 300 references to the Christ, over 300 references to the Christ in the Old Testament. So don't throw out the Old Testament. The Old Testament is vital to our Christian faith. So Paul gives an example to these leaders that the word of God is vital to them and to their ministry. Where's your ministry? Out there. The word of God is vital to you and to your ministry. You can argue till you're blue in the face about the Democrats, about the Republicans, about the communists, about the socialists, about whatever. You're not going to get anywhere. But you start talking about Jesus, you're going to start ruffling feathers more than you ever thought otherwise. But we got to plant those seeds, guys. Because we only have one opportunity to plant seeds, water, fertilize. We have one opportunity. we got to be ready for that. Very, very important. This might sound very simplistic, and it is, but this is the most important aspect of our lives and one that is overlooked, unfortunately. You see, if we do not focus our lives on the whole counsel of God or the whole word of God, then we'll do what religions do. Then we'll learn to pick and choose what we'd like to believe in and what we don't want to believe in. This is what happens when you start to pick and choose. This is very, very common even in this church where people will be living together, having sex outside of marriage. And I've had to deal with this many, many times. See, no, that's not acceptable. No, that it's unbiblical. And and I lovingly take, at first I ask them, are you a believer? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because that's the most important thing. If they're just two unbelievers, then I wouldn't, I'd do that myself. Yeah, why not? They don't know any better. But as they say, yes, we're believers, I go, okay, then do you understand fornication? having sex outside of marriage. Do you understand what that means? 
Yes, we do. Okay, all right. So now we got that out of the way. Um, So now you're telling me that you just want to be willful disobedience to the word of God. Well, that's just your interpretation. No, read your Bible. Read your Bible, and we'll take them to scriptures. And if they're still adamant about it, they don't want to repent. I say, you know what? Bye-bye. You're going to infect the flock. No, no, we don't need it. As a shepherd, I'm here to protect the flock. And so we have to be careful that we're reading the whole word of God so that we know, well, you know, that sounds good, but no, this is 2020. Big whoop. No, don't pick and choose. The Bible is not a smorgasbord. As parents, we didn't allow our children to pick and choose what they liked to eat when they were growing up. But rather, we tried to provide them well-rounded meals. This gave their bodies the necessary nutrients to grow into strong and healthy adults. Question. Did your children always like what we provided? (laughs) Man, I hate green peas to this day. I had to eat the peas even though I was gagging. I could not leave the table until I gagged down all those peas. Oh, gross. Just cannot eat them to this day. Were there battles sometimes? But we loved them enough to take a stand and taught them to eat the balanced meal. And unfortunately, over the decades, the church has done a tremendous disservice to the flock of God. You see, the church has not provided a healthy diet of the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation, but has fallen into the sparse diet of positive messages. The leaders have moved from shepherding the flock to satisfying the flock. Concerned about numbers, concerned about the finances, concerned about reporting back to headquarters how many baptisms we did this month, how many were in Sunday school, how many were in the nursery. Well, we can't talk about sin. That might offend somebody and they won't come back. We can't talk about LGBTQ and that that's a sin because it might offend somebody. We can't say Black Lives Matter from the pit of hell. It is. Well, that might offend somebody. Well, I'd rather offend somebody to heaven than love them to hell. And that has to be our calling as believers. We need to offend in love and not love them to hell. We're seeing and living out the consequences of that lack of the whole counsel of God in the church today universally. You see, this is not new, by the way. If you've been participating in the daily reading, Isaiah shows us that Israel went down this road and they lost their inheritance as well as their heritage because of it. Why does history repeat itself? Because people think that they figured out something out about this life that no one else has. All of a sudden, I have the answers and I'm right and all of history is wrong. The Word of God, though, instructs us differently. Ecclesiastes 1.9. And you've got to really read this slow, because it, and you've got to think. That which has been is what will be. Now, Solomon is writing this via the Holy Spirit, inspirational Holy Spirit, one of the wisest men that ever lived, but one of the dumbest as well. If you read your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. That which has been is what will be thinking from God's perspective 
That which is done is what will be done. So as I do something, it's done. I can't change what I said five minutes ago. I said it, it's out there, it's recorded, it's done. Now I can maybe edit it and take it out, but it's done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing, this is not new. Homosexuality was rampant in the Roman Empire. And if you do a study of history, every major nation, every major country that fell did not fall from outside. It fell from within. Immoral decadence brought that country down, not outside forces. We can also see that there has been a correlation in parenting styles over the decades. Instead of being the parent, society has allowed the child to decide what's good for their upbringing. Most recently, we're not going to name the sex of our child, but at four years old, we'll let the child decide if they'd like to be a boy or a girl. Are you serious? You give your four-year-old the keys to the car? We're imploding, guys. We're imploding. You see, when a society becomes child-centered, that society is doomed for failure and the biblical family unit will cease to exist. You see, as individuals, we need to have the whole counsel of God. Let's look at Deuteronomy 17. This is why you want to read from Genesis to Revelation. Don't skip the Old Testament. I've referenced these verses often over the years but it's one of the best examples in the scriptures on how to stay focused on what God would have for our lives. Deuteronomy 17. You see, God, being outside our time realm, knew that Israel one day was going to ask for a king. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is the last verse in the book of Judges. It says, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. And that's where we're at as a nation today. There is no king in America. Jesus is not king. The government's the king. My 401k is the king. My career's king. My studies are king. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'll do what's right. Your truth is your truth. Don't push your truth on me. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say... I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. What did Solomon do? (laughs) Collected horses and chariots. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Chariots and horses were a sign of strength. If I have a lot of chariot and horses, I'm strong. Strong. For the Lord has said this to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. What did Solomon do? Dumb, dumb, dumb. 
700 wives, 300 concubines, or is it the other way around? Sometimes I have dyslexia. A lot of women. Silver was counted as nothing. It's like for you and me today. If you saw a penny, how many of you would stop to pick it up? Nah, maybe some. If that penny was silver, solid silver, we'd all be stopping and picking it up. In that day, pfft, that, what's that? That's ah, silver. Who cares? It's nothing. Read your Bible. It was nothing. They had everything. Also, here's the point. It shall be when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. So when you became king, according to the word of God, you were to write the word of God. Write it out. How long would that take you and I today? That would take years. But what would you be doing? You'd be meditating on the word of God for years. And then when you got done writing it, then you would just go over it again and go over it again. And from January to December, go over it again. What's my daily reading schedule? I got to go over it again. Why? so that I don't get horses and chariots, so I don't marry a bunch of women, so that I don't count money as my strength. Duh! But what did Solomon do? Exactly all those things. He wasn't doing what the scriptures told him to do. So for you and I in 2020, is it the same? Yeah, write it out if you can. That'd be a huge endeavor. But for me, I at least want to read it from Genesis to Revelation. And you have to develop that time where you have that devotional time, not for anybody else, but just for you. So you can hear from God what's wrong with this heart. Now others are going to receive the benefits from that devotional time, but if you don't have it, they're not going to receive it. And they're going to wish that you had done it. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn, why, what for? To fear the Lord, to reverence the Lord his God. And be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. They keep us safe, these statutes. That his heart, verse 20, speaking to us as well, and the heart means your soul, your mind. Well, I know better than God. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Let's look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. So it's very important for you as believers to be reading from Genesis to Revelation. For you younger people, you should start reading now. I can guarantee you if you asked an older saint, they would say, yes, do it. They wouldn't say, nah, wait till you're 50. Now wait till you're 40. Make a bunch of mistakes and then start reading your Bible. They're not going to say that to you. Guarantee you they're not going to say that to you. If they do, give me their name. They won't be coming here very long. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you guys notice something there? There's not a progression. There's a digression in that verse. 
You go from walking to standing to sitting. And that's what happens when we're not in the word of God. Then we start walking with the world. And then we start standing around with the world. And then we end up sitting with the world. And that's what's happening in the church, guys, in America. That's what's happening in the church. Many, many, many people are leaving the faith. Many artists, many well-known artists are coming out and saying, you know, I don't believe in Christianity anymore. Why? This verse right here. They were walking in the world. Used to be walking in Christianity. Oh, just a little bit of the world's okay. And then they're standing in the world. Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're, hey, they're nice people. They're okay. And then sitting down. Hey, you know what? You're right. Christianity. They, they hate people. They, they hate people. They're homophobiacs. Yeah, they're divisive. Really? I mean, Christians are saying that about Christianity now. Christians that have left the faith, they're now looking back at Christianity going, oh yeah, yeah, they're totally, they're, they're, oh, they hate people. No, we don't. No, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen, And we do as well. We don't hate anybody. Amen. But if you sit long enough with the world, you're going to believe that. Young people, guard your hearts. You will believe that nonsense eventually. Because you're going to have one of your friends come out and you're going to have the decision to make. You're either going to love them and tell them the truth, that that's not an acceptable sin, just like sin is not acceptable in my life, or you're going to go, well, you know, they're such a nice person, I'm not going to say anything, and I'm going to be their friend, and hopefully, hopefully, maybe if they watch me long enough, hopefully they'll receive Jesus as their Savior. You're loving them to hell. But that's your decision, and you will have to make that. We, I'm seeing it on a regular basis, unfortunately. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Why shall it not wither? Not 100% fruit every single day, but at least your leaf because of the water. What is the word of God? The water. Husbands, what are you supposed to do? Wash your wife in the water of the word. Not scrubber, not basher. Wash her gently, lovingly. And whatever he does shall prosper. So the seventh aspect, allowing the word of God to shape our lives. Are we allowing the word of God, the whole word of God? And again, don't get hung up in what you don't know. Just keep reading and get hung up on what God shows you. The Numbers, the book of Numbers. I, I mentioned it to Junior. How many of you like the book of Numbers? Anybody like the book of Numbers? Be truthful. You, it's okay. Now, in the book of Numbers, yes, it's this and this and this and this. So you go, and you get to the meat. The book of Numbers has something in it. See how many of you can find it that is in the Gospel of John. The book of Numbers has something in it that is, in, and I'll give you even more of a clue. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I encourage you guys to dig. It's unbelievable. And then remind me, and I'll mention it next week. Back in Acts, back in Acts. 28, therefore, take heed to yourselves. Notice, take heed. It means to hold the mind towards. So again, if we're going to minister to others who are going to hell and we don't have the word of God, what's God going to use out of our mouths? 
So take heed to yourselves and to the, all the flock of God. Now, yes, Paul is addressing leaders, and, but I'm addressing you as believers. You need to take heed because when you go to work, they need to hear about the gospel on your own time, not during work. They didn't, they're not paying you to evangelize. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice that, the Holy Spirit, not man, Now, we do ordination. We ordain men to be pastors. We don't believe scripturally that women are ordained to be pastors. We don't see that in the scriptures. Women are co-equal with Christ, but God is a God of order, and the scriptures show us how we are to have that order, even within the church. But God ordains. We just confirm what God has already ordained. There are some people that want to be called to the ministry, and there are others, I'm talking about full-time ministry, and there are others who are called to the ministry. There's a big difference. There are many who want to be called, and there are those who are called. Now, that doesn't neglect anything or negate anything from those who are not called. There's tons of ministry to be done in any church that relies heavily upon the volunteers. So you all need to be praying about your ministry even within the church In the nursery, junior high, special needs, ushering, greeting, all the ministry. God, where are you calling me to minister in this church? I'm being ministered to, but I also want to minister. So you need to take hold of the mind, pay attention to, be cautious about, apply oneself to, adhere to. Notice what Paul is saying to these leaders, but what the Holy Spirit says to all of us, no matter how old we are. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, as a pastor or for anyone who desires to help others through the use of the scriptures, I must first be studying the scriptures myself. Notice that I said must. You must. I must. Not, oh, I'd like to. That's a great idea. I'm going to wait till December and then I'm going to make that pledge for my New Year's resolution. Or that I know I should. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. I know I should. But rather that I must study the scriptures devotionally. Again, not out of duty or debt, not out of legalism, out of relationship. So that I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to me so that I might be able to minister to others. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Is there a scripture for that, Pastor? Many. But we'll just pick out a few here. You might be thinking, well, nobody would listen to me. Why not? Well, because I don't know the scriptures. Oh, okay. I get it. That makes sense. But rather, we should be studying, memorizing, meditating, and then maybe somebody would listen to us because they'd see we're sincere and that our lives have been transformed. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which all you so you received, and in which you stand. So notice what happened. Paul preached. They believed it. Now they stand in it. They don't stand in Paul. They stand in the gospel. By which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For 
I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Notice verse 3 there. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Paul wasn't just shooting from the hip, making this stuff up. He was spending time with God and the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write these things. And then he goes on to talk about the resurrection through the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he keeps moving through it. You see, I can only point someone to, very important here, instruct someone in or take someone as far as I've allowed the Holy Spirit to point, instruct, or take me in the scriptures. You see, we're here this morning talking about Christianity. But I can apply this, if I talk to you for five minutes, I could apply this to your life. Oh, you're a mechanic? Could you mentor someone? You bet I could. Been doing it for 20 years. Oh, yeah? What are you going to tell them? Well, I'm going to tell them what I've learned. Oh. So you're not just going to hand them a book. You're actually going to tell them something. But did you hear what you just said? I'm going to tell them what I learned. The good and the bad. I'm going to encourage him, don't do that because you're going to bust your knuckles. Well, that's nice of you. I, I appreciate that. You see, that's what happens in all of our careers. If you think about your career and you want to help somebody and you sincerely want to help them, do you tell them all the bad things? Or do you tell them to do things so that they'll get in trouble? Or do you tell them, do this, don't do that, and they move advanced in their career? And one day they might even be over you because they advanced so well. Are you willing to take that chance? So we'll do it in the physical world. But again, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do it in the spiritual world. Do you guys see the, the, the problem? We have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. I can only point someone to, instruct someone in, or take someone as far as I've allowed the Holy Spirit to point, instruct, or take me in the Scriptures. You see, notice that Paul says to feed the flock. And as a pastor, I'm not called to fleece the flock, make the flock feel good about themselves, or mislead the flock by misusing scriptures, but to feed the flock of God. You see, the church is not here to serve my interest, but rather that I might serve and minister to the church body. Now, I'm saying that specifically to you from me as your pastor. The board sets my salary. The board takes care of all that stuff, everyone's salary, vacations, all that stuff. So there's no weirdness going on. But I also incorporate this to you as well. The church is not here to serve my interest. You see, this is unfortunate where the church has gotten to over the last two or three decades. People come in and they'll start looking over. the People have come into this church. I can remember this. Man, I'm having a hot flash. I can remember, and when I say remember, it's just a fact. I know it happened. So um, a gal came in, and she was so excited about finding our little country church. This was probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And she came in, and the sanctuary was only half the sanctuary. She looked at our chairs, and she said, you've got cushy chairs. And I was saying in my mind, this lady ain't going to last a week. She came one week couldn't take the gospel but that's what that's what unfortunately has happened in the church over the last 10 20 30 years hey what do you got you got you got good music you got lights you got smoke what do you got you got a 17 minute sermon because i got things to do pal get moving 
You got kids ministry? You got good music? You got women's ministry? Men's ministry? What do you got? Really? Really? What do I got? What do you got? Because you're supposed to be helping. If you read your Bible, every member is supposed to be helping the body of Christ. What do you got? Let me, do, let me throw a list at you. What are you good for? Oh, what? Yeah, exactly. Time to grow up. It's crazy. You see, the greatest way to serve the flock of God as a pastor is to teach them the whole word of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Even those uncomfortable verses that make my flesh, or that want to make my flesh uh, skip over. And why? Because God purchased the church through the precious blood of his one and only son. It wasn't for the blood sacrifice of our Savior. If it wasn't for his sacrifice, none of us would be here today. None of us would have a wonderful expectation of spending eternity with the loving Heavenly Father. You see, as I focus on the high cost of my salvation, I encourage you to do this this week. As I focus on the high cost of my salvation, I will be less selfish within the ministry and being more available for the ministry. Instead of coming every week, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? I'm a consumer. What do you got for me? I'll be more available to say, hey, how can I bless? What can I do around here? I've been coming for 10 years. What can I do? I've been coming for five years. What can I do? What do you got for me? Again, it's not about what I can get out of the ministry, but how can the Holy Spirit use me in the ministry? And again, does this apply to the life of every believer? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I don't become a shepherd over my own life, how can I shepherd someone else's? So let's take it from Paul, talking specifically to pastors, to now you as a believer maybe trying to shepherd an unbeliever to salvation. If you had the opportunity, if someone was willing to listen to you as a Christian, would you know how to shepherd them into the fold? Would you know how to bring them in? Would you be able to explain grace and mercy and the cross and love? God loves you. Would you be able to do that? He diligently watches over the flock, looking out for their well-being, which would include diet, clean water to drink, hygiene, safety, protection, training. You see, these are things that every believer can and should identify with. But unfortunately, most believers leave these things up to the pastor or the other ministers once a week at best. It's not a good idea at all. How can I lead a biblical single life without these things? As a single person, how can you lead a biblical single life without these things? How can I lead my spouse without these things? How can I lead my family without these things? How can I impact my society, my community, my church without these things? The answer, I'll have a hard time having an impact at all without these things. And this is where we find our society today. I can't change someone else. How many of you, don't show of hands, and I won't even look your way, but how many of you wanted to change your spouse and you said, I'll change them after we get married? And you're still trying to change them. I can't change someone else, but I can allow the Holy Spirit to change me. So the last aspect, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to be my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. Father, we thank you and praise you. David made horrendous mistakes as king. Yet we see that he repented, he restored, he reconciled, he tried to make it right. And that's why I believe your word says that David was a man after your heart. He made mistakes. We make mistakes. And Father, you've given us the word of God that we might repent. That we might repent of those mistakes, of those sins. That we might turn back to you and say, God, you're so good. Why did I leave? What a fool. God, we thank you that you offer freely repentance to anyone who would turn to you. Anyone, unbeliever as well as believer. We thank you for that, Father. Your arms are always open wide. Father, we thank you for your word and for these aspects of relationship that we have to be mature enough to say, I need to be responsible. I I do need to be responsible for my own faith. I can't leave it up to the pastor or the deacons or the elders. I need to be responsible. Father, build that responsibility through your Holy Spirit. It's not a fleshly thing. Our flesh will rebel against all of this. But as we surrender your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit will give us the strength to do all of these things. And we'll grow, we'll mature, we'll be more like Jesus at the end of the day than we are right now. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're with us this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You know of Jesus, you've heard his name. And maybe none of this is making a whole lot of sense. Here's the reason. You don't have the Holy Spirit within you, so it's hard for you to understand spiritual things. But I can tell you this, as I did when I was 17 years old, I invited Jesus to be my Savior. The Holy Spirit came within me, and then, after going to church for 17 years, and then I started to realize what the Bible was all about. That it wasn't about punching the clock, it was about relationship. So maybe you're with us this morning. There's people in the room right now praying for you and praying for your soul. They love you and they want you to have the best. So I'm gonna pray a little prayer and if that's you, then you just pray in the privacy of your own heart to ask Jesus to be your savior. I may never see you again. But if you are sincere, it's not about the prayer, it's about your heart. If you are sincere, God will receive you as his son and as his daughter, the free gift of salvation. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I have to admit I am a sinner. I make mistakes. I sin. And I do it willfully at times. God, I I want to repent. I want to turn to you. And God, I ask for forgiveness. God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come into my life, to physically reside within me according to your word. 
I don't know what that means. But I trust you're going to show me what it means. And that I will now have supernatural power to forsake the things of this world. God, I say thank you for accepting me and that now I am your son, I am your daughter, through grace, by faith. Thank you, God, that I can now call you Father, my Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to pray. Maybe you've been away from the church for a while. You know what to do. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Just pray after me. Just, just repent right now. You know the truth. Just say, Father, thank you. Thank you for that gift of repentance that your word says you give to anyone and that you're giving to me right now. Father, I repent. I turn back to you. As I've just heard this morning once again, your ways are far above my ways. You know way better than I do. So I apologize. I say I'm sorry. And that I'm back. Thank you for making me right with you. You've always been right with me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Again, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go out into our mission field, into our workplaces, into our schools homeschooling, private schooling, public, whatever it may be, Father, that that we would be ready to give a person an answer of why we're a Christian. Why Why would you believe in that silly Bible? Father, help us to be available for they need Jesus. They need salvation. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Won't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. Love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.